morning. It is looking like it's pretty close to being about that time. Second bell indicates we are ready, I think, to get started. And we are continuing our walk through John, the Gospel of John, if you have your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be t- continuing John chapter 10 and getting through verse uh, John, John chapter 11 also. Um, so this section, so we had just read about the healing of the blind man. And the consequences of what was going, that he had to uh, bear because of that, getting kicked out of the synagogue. And this is a continuation of that. Jesus is going to continue uh, to teach the crowd, mostly the Pharisees, uh, after that healing. Uh, he, if you remember, um, again, he was kicked out of the synagogue. It's showing that leadership of the, of the Jews. And he's going to be comparing their leadership to uh, the true and good leadership that he provides to his people. So we'll start reading in verse, again, chapter 10, verse 1, and we're going to go through uh, verse 21. It reads, Most assuredly I say to you that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way is the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger's. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I must also bring. They will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again no one takes it from me but I lay down my life excuse me I lay it down of myself I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again this command I have received from my father therefore there was a division among again among the Jews because of these sayings 
And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And we'll stop there. So Jesus here is painting a, uh, an image for us, but it's an image that's pretty common during this time. A shepherd and his flock uh, was pretty abundant in this area during these times. So it was an image that everybody was comfortable with and, and knew about. And um, it sounds like typically what they did was they put multiple uh, shepherd sheep in a large pen overnight together. And so when the shepherd would come uh, in the morning... Uh, to come take his his flock out, he would call them, and the they would they would recognize his voice, and they would they'd have that relationship, that intimate relationship, where they would trust him. So they would follow, and if another shepherd came to call his sheep, the other sheep wouldn't come because again they they didn't they weren't familiar with him. Uh, and so that's that that's that image that Jesus is giving to the people here. So they understood the concept, but they didn't understand what he was talking about in, in reference to it. So he had to explain it, obviously. He's, telling, he's given them the the, uh, uh, the information that he is the, the shepherd of his true believers, of those that know him, that will hear his voice, and those that will ho- obey him. And not only that, he's the door, right? He's the... He's the only way to have access to sustenance and safety. And again, he tells us that uh, he um, not only would lay down his life, but will. I mean, he did lay down his life for his sheep. The thieves and the robbers that he talked about, the ones that came before him, um, those were the false prophets, right? Those were people trying to lead his people uh, astray, the false messiahs. Along with, he includes the the evil leaders of his people, uh, which he's including in the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this, the Sanhedrin, those that are taking advantage of the people and leading them astray. Uh, the the sheep not of his fold. There he's given a, you know a little hint to the fact that uh, the Gentiles are going to be part of his fold later on. Those that uh, those Gentiles that would later believe in him and follow him. Those uh, again, those were from a different fold, and yet they would become one flock when the time came, and he would be the one shepherd, and that is the body of Christ that we have today. So all throughout this section, he's been hinting, he's been he's been pretty uh, using strong language about. Uh, telling of his death in various ways and again he's doing the same here but not only is he hinting about his death but he's also hinting about his resurrection like he has in some other times uh, he goes on to compare that that intimate relationship that he has with uh, the father and the intimate relationship that he has with his followers and that leads us into the next section of these verses that relationship. And that's going to be verses 22 through 39. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Salmon's port, uh, Solomon's porch, excuse me. And the Jews surrounded him and said to him, 
How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But if you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I and my Father are one. All right, sorry. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I shown you from my Father, Of which of those do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you uh, do not believe in me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. So this uh, this section that we just read opens up with the Feast of Dedication that was being mentioned. That was the time period this was going on. Um, and this feast, it was not, you're not going to see that in the Law of Moses. It was not instructed for them to do. It was a newer, uh, newer feast considerably, uh, when you consider it compared to the others, uh, because it's about a century and a half old about this time. All right? And it had started, they had started to do it after the temple was rededicated to God, after it had been desecrated um, by the Greek Hellenistic king of the uh, Seleucid Empire. And his name was uh, Antichus uh, Epiphanes. And that was during, if you remember, the Maccabean Revolt. We had talked about that before a little bit. And the Maccabean Revolt was about three years earlier. And uh, they had started this three years after that revolt. It sounded like the um, Feast of Dedication. Another name for it is the Feast of Lights. Uh, And it's because of the, uh, they call it that because of the lighting of the lamps during that time. And it was done about the time of December December 14th, excuse me. And it lasted for eight days. And so uh, it might sound familiar to you. It's still practiced today, and it's called Hanukkah, which means dedication. So just some information about that. Also, that empire that desecrated the temple, the Seleucid Empire, um, the Macedonian Empire, it branched off, the Seleucid Empire branched off after the Macedonian Empire. You know, Alexander the Great's empire had uh, divided, and it was the fall of it. And that Seleucid Empire ended up being taken over by Pompey, the general, the general Roman, 
the Roman general uh, Pompey in about 63 BC, so about 60 years before Jesus came. So that's where we got to where we are now with Jesus and the Roman Empire having that area. So back looking at the feasts, it's ironic um, when looking at the feasts. So we have that that dedication, um, that feast of of, uh, dedication, that feast of uh, lights, right? Uh, And we see that Jesus is the ultimate light of the world. Uh, the one who's going to, and also the one who's going to end that temple, that temple uh, time. So they're dedicating, again, uh, it's a rededication of the temple. They're commemorating that. And yet Jesus is there, and he's going to be enacting the, the worship within the new temple ourselves. And, um, you know, the, Jesus, he's there, and his temple is going to be destroyed, and he's going to rebuild it in three days. During that, uh, during that holiday, that celebration. Also, we see that um, there's multiple feasts in the Old Testament. The, the Feast of Booths, right, and that's commemorating when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, the wilderness. <clears throat> and during that time, they were uh, going through the desert and were thirsty and tired. And here we have Jesus, that living water. Uh, also, of course, they have the Passover and we have Jesus, that Passover lamb. He, he uh, just encompasses every aspect of Jewish culture. And he uh, takes on a new, new role in, in, in that manner. So it's interesting to look at those things. So going back to the reading, um, they ask him plainly, they ask him straight up, tell us if you are the Messiah. And Jesus had used some very strong indicators all before um, to let them know he was the Messiah, and yet they still needed that direct confirmation. They still didn't. They still didn't make that connection that that's what he was saying. And so they just wanted it set out plainly. They still were doubting after all that they had seen and heard. Uh, it seems like he was saying that they were blinded, right? They had hard hearts. Another problem was if he would have said yes to their question, I am the Messiah directly, uh, he would have been saying yes to their definition of the Messiah, right? The one that they expected, the one that they expected to come and rise up in power, in political power, and lead a military, bring back the greatness of Israel. Of course, if he was saying no to them, to their definition. Uh, that wouldn't be the truth because he is the Messiah that was foretold about that was going to come. So his answer, I told you already. I've told you the works that I've done in God's name, which confirmed what I'm telling you, told you. And they're not listening. And then he, go, <laughs> he goes on to confirm that he is one with the Father. He is that intimate relationship and so, again, they're going to try to stone him for that, uh, for that blasphemy. Now, again, if Jesus was just only a man, they would be correct in doing that thing because, according to the law because uh, that, was the, uh, that was the punishment for such things. They had that understanding. Again, I think we've, I've had to, we've talked about this. We've gone through this to class multiple times, and we just keep on seeing this, this cycle. Uh, they have that understanding that he's someone special. 
and that he's from God. And that he's possibly the Messiah, that they didn't understand that the Messiah, who the Messiah was going to be, that it was going to be God, it was me from God, and, and have that intimate, intimate relationship. They saw he had power, and they saw that it was beyond anything they've ever seen or anything they've ever heard. And that it was at the Father's instruction because they understood that there, there had to be some correlation there between him and the Father. But again, they were too blinded by the physical. That's something that trips us up often. And that's something that we need to, to combat just like they do, is that, that physical, uh, this physical world that we're in and that barrier of understanding the spiritual. The fact that he was human, yet God, was something that's difficult to comprehend, even today, right? People still have problems with that concept. And it is difficult to understand, because the realm that we're in, the physical realm that we're in and that we know, um, is all that we know, all that we can, all that we can grasp um, completely, Right? We, can, we, can, we have the idea of the uh, spiritual realm, but it's difficult. Thankfully, we have the scriptures which give us uh, education about that spiritual realm that uh, God is in and he created for us. And so we, go to, we come to verse 34, where a, a curious reference to scripture comes up. I said you are gods. That's lowercase g. Then he refers to them as sons or children of the Most High. And this is reference to Psalm 82. So I want to go back and look at that and, and see what that's referring to. Because that's an interesting thing that's been mentioned here. So Psalm 82. In verse 6. We'll just read the whole section here. Um, one through one through eight. <clears throat> God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, and you shall inherit all nations. Again, we see that's a, that's a lowercase g there, right? When he's referring to them. Um, this is a, being written to the judges of Israel who are acting corruptly. And instead of delivering that righteous judgment according to God's will, they were doing the opposite. And so they were going to be punished for it. God was reminding them who they belong to, whom they are children of. They represented him. And they were not doing a good representation. It reminds me of Ephesians and the whole chapter. Uh, the entire chapter is about how um, 
we have been adopted, and because of it, we obtain inheritance, what was promised by God. Uh, some have taken that concept that to take um, taken that concept to mean that we'll be gods in the next life, uh, and there is no scripture for that that supports that at all. Um, all throughout the Bible, we see that there is the Creator and the created, and there always will be that difference, right? Uh, yet, you know, we do have an inheritance that will be given, but he's not saying that he's going to bring us to the point of being a creator. Uh, so beware of that, 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 that teaching. Um, that concept of the difference between the creator and the creators, again, it's all throughout the Bible. And that concept is what's being understood very well by the Jews uh, at this point. Again, that, that bring yourself up as an equal to God. And uh, that is um, what's bringing us to this point where they want to kill him because of that statement, because of that concept that Jesus is giving to them about his being intimate and being part of God. And is that possibly by design? Again, just like everything God does, I'm sure there's a reason for it. and It could be the reason because of that's what leads him to the cross, right? So Jesus used that as an argument that if God even mentioned at any point that since man was representation uh, representation of God or a representative of God on earth and uh, how is it that um, he whom God specifically sent according to his will um, would not be able to call himself the son of God. All right? And that's, again, somebody who God has confirmed with uh, miraculous works. And so that leads us to verse 40 through 20, uh, 42, excuse me. It's the two verses there. And he went uh, away again beyond the Jordan to a place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign but... All the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. Jesus uh, has received so much opposition in this point in Jerusalem, where um, and so many attempts on his life that uh, he's going back to where he started for continue some of his ministry for a little while, and where John the Baptist was uh, teaching beforehand, right? And that's Bethany beyond the Jordan. And, of course, the people that remembered John the Baptist, and they had respect for him. And um, they remembered what he said about Jesus. And we read that at the beginning of this study. Uh, You know, John the Baptist confirmed who Jesus was. They, uh, again, they were able to recognize the fact that John, he didn't come with miraculous works. He just came with truth. And yet, um, here comes Jesus, who they remembered what they said about him, and he comes with miraculous works, which confirmed what John was saying. And now we are into chapter 11. So let's go and read verses chapter 11, verse 1 through 16. We'll continue on with this. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, 
the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. But these things he said, and after he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he was speaking about uh, taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So this Bethany, um, where Lazarus lived with Mary and Martha, uh, it was about uh, 20 miles from where he was in the Bethany across the Jordan. And he knows, again, um, he obviously tells us that he knows what's going to happen, and he knows that that's going to be an opportunity to glorify God. Just, and he used that same uh, phrase when he saw the blind man that he had healed. He knew that, that was, uh, he was going to use that moment to glorify God. And John references an account with Jesus and Mary that hasn't been covered yet. It's going to be covered in the next chapter that we're going to probably not get to today. Um, but we see that closeness uh, between Jesus and their family. Uh, and it's kind of strange when you read this, you, you see that closeness relationship, and you would think that he'd immediately pick up and go to um, be with the family during that time of grieving. Uh, so, but he decided to stay two days behind. So it's kind of interesting uh, how that happened. But again, he knew all things, and he knew the the purpose of it. Um, so we see that he knew he had passed by that time. That the message came to him, and he was talking to his disciples. Um, and he still waited a couple of days. So even if he would have left, he would have been deceased a day or two, right? So he still would have had that time elapsed. To, but that additional time possibly contributed to the uh, the wonder of the miracle. I don't know. That's definitely one aspect of that to think about. Uh, Jesus still might have had um, you know work to do in that Bethany before he went there to glorify God. Anyway, we see that God had a timeline for the events that occurred. Many times we see Jesus being urged to do things, and he says, you, know, you can go or just wait, and waits for the, the right time to do things. shows that Jesus is being obedient to God's will, and uh, not man's, right? 
And the disciples' reaction uh, is understandable. And it's, it's just another indication that they didn't fully grasp uh, the totality of what was required of Jesus. And we continue to see that. Um, but yet Jesus comforted them and us about his, uh, about his example of the day, the daytime, and the, and the work that was still needing to be done uh, while there was opportunity. So he still had things to do. But he also at the same time indicated that his time on earth was coming to, a, to an end. It's coming to a close. And, uh, you know, there's an end point for that also. Jesus still had that purpose of deepening, you know, not only those people's faith that had been with him, the disciples that continue to follow him, but his, his disciples that were soon to be apostles. He still had work to do on deepening their faith also. That leads us into verse 7 through 27, or 17 through 27. So Jesus came. He found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. It's a great statement there. With the close uh, proximity to Jerusalem, we see Jews uh, coming from that, that region, most likely from Jerusalem also, to see the family, to uh, you know, give them their sympathy condolences and to help them mourn and to mourn with them. So it's highly likely that Jews from Jerusalem were there to become witnesses of, again, this great miracle. Martha, we see her great respect and faith in Jesus uh, with her meeting him on the way and how she's talking to him. Now, in here, Jesus didn't directly say it, that he was going to raise Lazarus. Um, But he did confirm with Martha his power over life. Uh, and death, and that's both spiritual and physical death. And what a comforting thought he gives us in this section, right? No, that's that's the reason why we have no fear of death. We should have no fear of death. Uh, so, no matter what happens to us on this earth, um, he has our souls. He has, uh, he's going to protect us and, and take care of us after this life. And that's, uh, again, such a comforting thought. And Martha's statement uh, is, again, uh, one that shows her, her uh, deep understanding of and, and conviction that she had obtained 
of who Jesus is. Yet, um, the situation, obviously, she, she doesn't understand what he's referring to. But her statement, um, her statement is a, an understanding that we all should really have, right? He's the Messiah. Uh, he's the one that was prophesied about and that the Jews had been waiting for. He's, well, really the world was waiting for, but the Jews had that information about. He's the Son of God. And number two, he's the Son of God who possesses the same nature as the Father. And the third part of that statement that she said, uh, that he came into the world to fulfill the Father's will. And he did do that. Continuing verses 28 through 37. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out following her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep. Then Jesus, uh, sorry, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So again, we see part of that, uh, not necessarily what we call it humanity, but the fact that uh, Jesus had emotions, right? We know that God... Um, gives us emotions and that we uh it's said of God to have th- those those emotions that we have but we see Jesus in that essentially that state of uh, being emotional that emotional distress that deeply moved him to the point of trembling is what that that uh, being troubled um, that's kind of the image being documented here uh, it's interesting to look at uh, I guess Part of the uh, culture then was to to sit during that time of mourning. They would they would turn the chairs around and and people would sit during that time of grieving on the ground. Um, and so that's what we see Mary doing there. She was sitting, but of course when she hears Jesus coming, she comes out and meets him and says the exact same thing that Martha had. It came with that exact same point of view, uh, with that knowledge that Jesus could have could have cured him. So. Uh, the weeping that uh, Mary and those who are with her are said to be doing is, is and pretty common for that culture, is a loud crying and, and wailing, and just, just a full display of that emotion, of that emotional t- turmoil that they're in. Uh, and when it refers to Jesus, it, it seems to have a different meaning uh, of uh, shedding tears, kind of quietly, uh, but also he still has that, again, that, um, that emotion about it. And 
when thinking about that, we know that um, he's about to raise Lazarus. And so it's kind of hard to imagine that he's mourning that, that, that death of Lazarus. But, um, you know, he's, he could be upset by that, obviously. But it seems that him, he's also mostly upset by seeing those that he loves in emotional turmoil, uh, you know, in mourning. And uh, the, the fact that they were hurting and that empathy that he's showing towards them. And we also see here that many of those people, again, those Jews that were with them, knew about Jesus healing the blind man, right? So we, we see that they have that knowledge of his miraculous works. And they are, again, going to be witnesses to yet another great work of, uh, of Jesus. And they're going to witness his, his, his power. Conquering death. Uh, verse 38 and we'll close out with uh, verse 38 through 44. I know there's more of the chapter, but I want to roll that into the next chapter. Jesus said, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took her away. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this that they may believe you sent me." Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave uh, cloths. Clothes, grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Pretty powerful. Jesus, uh, seeing those, again, in, in uh, that distress, um, he's using that. Man, he's using that, that powerful, powerful emotional time for people to show his great works. Again, we see him, he made the request for the stone to be removed. And it seems like Martha associated that request with um, Jesus wanting to see Lazarus, right? Not the fact that he was going to do a miraculous work. I guess it just didn't, it didn't make that connection that he had that ultimate power. They knew he had power to, to, to do miraculous works, but that ultimate power over death, which he had shown before, but he, was shown, he will show again uh, even more in a, in a more powerful way. So again, Jesus reminded her about her going to see the glory of God. And so they did it. They moved that stone. And we see Jesus' prayer here to God. And uh, again, just another... Um, another aspect of how important prayer is in our life. Right? We see Jesus praying so much, and he gives, he's such a great example for us to continue in prayer in all aspects of our life. Through the ups and the lows, ups and downs of life. 
So again, Jesus prayed to God out loud, and he did it out loud. I mean, obviously, he could have done, he could have prayed quietly to himself, but he did it out loud. So there's no question by whose authority he was doing these things. And what, uh, and also confirming that relationship between him and the Father. The results, similar to what is going to happen on the last day when Jesus calls us, we will hear his voice and we will come out. Uh, I personally cannot wait for that day, and uh, I can't wait to see you all there, that's for sure. Uh, thank you. We're going to go and wrap it up for today. And uh, bless you all, and hope you all have a, a good good day in worship our father